Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. I don't light your fire, your wood's wet. That's good stuff. Well, it's good to have Brother Dave McCracken with us this morning. Um, we don't hold it against him. He's an evangelist from Oklahoma. But we've enjoyed him over the years, and uh, appreciate you being here, Brother McCracken. You come on and preach for us. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Well, Nancy and I are glad to have privilege to come back to Heritage Baptist Church and be with you for these few days. I I look forward to see uh, what God might do in our hearts in these few days. Uh, very quick, I just want to mention on the back uh, table over there, I, have a, I brought a book <clears throat> that my sister wrote. It's called Thy Face, Lord, Will I Seek, and it's a Bible study on prayer. Uh, it's $15. Uh, some of the money that comes in on the book, uh, she's giving to her son-in-law and daughter, they are building a camp up near Stillwater, south of Stillwater, Oklahoma, and they're building a youth camp up there, and so she wants to support that. But uh, what I want to tell you about the book, uh, I've read a few books, not a lot of books, but a few books on prayer. It is the best book that teaches you how to pray that I've ever read. I've read a lot of books that I get under conviction about praying, that I should be praying, but this teaches you how to pray. And it's really, really a blessing. So it's back there uh, in that, on that table. Anyway, uh, Nancy and I are thrilled to be here on these few days that we're together. I generally, usually, I have a thread that goes through the sermons that I preach. And this week uh, is no different. I'll have a thread. And uh, perhaps tonight I might tell you where this series came from, or how it ended up anyway, being a revival series, because uh, at the first, I didn't think it should be a revival series, and, uh, but anyway, uh, God uh, did something different and said, well, okay, maybe it should be. So anyway, I'm looking forward to trying to get it across to you. <clears throat> so I'll tell you what the series is in just a little bit, but if you have your Bible, if you turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, it's the second book of the New Testament, the last chapter, chapter 16. I appreciate the good music today and I uh, enjoy it every time I come. I enjoy the choir and then the special music. Thank you very, very much. And uh, let me encourage you, uh, some of you are, um, well, I've been going to church my entire life, so I can. I think I have authority to say this. At a lot of our churches, some just come on Sunday morning. And we appreciate it. We're glad you come. We want to fill up the seats and all that. We're glad you come. But this is like revival. These are special services. And we really, really want to encourage you to come back tonight uh, for the 6 o'clock service. Please, please come. You go, well, I just don't, I don't normally come. Well, no one will be upset. If you come, 
please make an effort to come uh, for revival services and see what, see what could happen, see what God might do uh, in our, uh, your heart. And then I uh, would encourage you, please, please invite other people. Please invite people. I just preached a revival at a church that their attendance on Sunday morning is about 60 people, 60. So during the week in revival, we had anywhere from 52 to 70 or something like that during the revival. I will tell you uh, that at that congregation, the time Friday got there, they 19 different family units visited the church. 19. I told them how proud I was of them. I said, I go to churches of 200, 500, and they won't have 19 guests come, different family guests, family units. And uh, I just told them, thank you for inviting people. Thank you for begging people. Thank you for paying people to come. Whatever you got to do. But please invite people. You don't know who's going to come. If you don't invite them, I know they won't come. So please invite people. Let's see what God uh, would do in our hearts these few days. Mark chapter 16, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me, please. I ask people to stand that we all might give reverence and give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It is the perfect, preserved Word of God. That's why we're standing uh, just to remind us to give reverence to this book. Listen to what God's word says in chapter 16 of Mark and verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now if you would go to the book of Romans now, it's after Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 1, please. Romans chapter 1. After this verse, I'll take you to another verse of Scripture. Romans 1 and verse number 16. The Scripture says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The last book of the Bible is the Revelation chapter 14, please. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. The verse I want to show you here, I love this verse. Revelation 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. One more passage. It's 1 Corinthians. To your left, 1 Corinthians. If you get to Romans, you went too far. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you went too far. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. One Corinthians chapter 15. Verse number one. Moreover, brethren. Time out just a minute. That reminds me. Sorry. 
I do get distracted easy. But tonight, you don't want to miss tonight. Tonight, in my opinion, I call it, uh, it's the most fun message that I have for the week. I'm going to have a good time, whether you do or not, I'm going to have fun. But I really want to encourage you to come. Uh, it uh, has so many pictures in tonight's uh, message that uh, are real easy to see, and they're real applicable, and uh, uh, they're memorable for you And uh, as you read. And the next time you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, after tonight's message, you, you, you won't forget these pictures we get to see tonight. I was looking forward to that tonight. Please don't miss. Here we go, verse 1 again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And this part, pardon me this minute, that verse 2 there, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. So some people get all messed up in their head about, oh, so if you don't keep in memory, then, well, then you're not saved anymore. So anyway, you've got to come back tonight, and I'll tell you what that means, okay? I'll show you what that means in the Bible. Verse 2, <clears throat> by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for another Lord's Day and uh, opportunity to assemble and to honor you and reverence you and have occasion to worship you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your book and for my privilege to preach. I pray for unction and utterance and power to preach and get across the truth. I pray you to help me with my thinking and my, uh, my uh, thoughts to, to communicate and that, Lord, you would touch hearts today. Those that are not yet born again, I pray for them. I pray that it would become, there'd be a, a clarity and a... <clears throat> a uh, conviction from you about the need to be forgiven. And for us that know you, I pray you would speak to us and remind us and if we needed, exhort us in our relationship with you. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for loving us. We sure do look forward to seeing you. And it's in your mighty and holy and precious and wonderful name we pray, Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I told you that I was going to let you know what the thread was. Some of you were actually paying attention and listening. And I appreciate it. Some just, you know, you're just filling time and so on. But anyway, uh, some of you would be paying attention. You realize that he's going to be preaching about the gospel. And that's correct. I'm going to preach concerning the gospel actually through all the services this week and we'll be unfolding some people call it unpacking but anyway i'll be getting involved here to see what the scripture teaches us concerning the gospel so 
I'm truly looking forward to it. So the word gospel, a lot of people well, are pretty sure they know what it means. And, and our circles of churches and people we hang out with, uh, many people say, hey, uh, do you know what the gospel is? Well, yeah. What's the gospel? And we would say it's a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we would say that and we would be right. That's what the gospel is. It's more than that, and I'm going to be doing it. I, it's, it's only more than that and what all comes underneath those things. But the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. But see, some people, they don't know what the gospel is because in their head, they've heard the word, and they would say, well, uh, the gospel, there's the gospel, see, there's gospel TV, there's gospel radios, there's gospel music, and so, uh, you know, I guess, that, I guess that's the gospel. And some people, I'm not sure, but they've used this word. Some of you perhaps even have said the word, and that's the gospel truth. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Is that the death, burial, and resurrection truth? What, what does that mean, the gospel truth, and so on? So uh, as we talk about it, I, I'm going to work on it a little bit this morning, and we'll uh, be going through this. But um, one of the things, or there are several things, the reason we've read these verses, uh, it is obvious, I think, I think you would get it with me, it is obvious that the gospel is really, really important to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord Jesus wanted every human on earth to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. Whatever the gospel is, He wants everybody to hear it. In Romans, in 1.16, the Apostle Paul, the Scripture says there that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Boom. It's another sermon, but I'll just give you a blip. The power is in the gospel. Not you. Anyway, it's another sermon. But Jesus wants everybody to hear it. The power is in the gospel. And then in the revelation. Hallelujah. I saw another angel in the midst of heaven. Listen to this. Having the everlasting gospel. I don't know if you got that in your head or not. It's like everlasting. Do you know how long that is? It's like everlasting. It's like eternal. Whatever the gospel is, it's eternal. It's everlasting. Some of you are just going right over. I want to get it down here. It's the everlasting gospel. What that means is it's the same. No, no. It has to be the same. The gospel cannot change any at all. If it changes any, well, it's not everlasting. It's the same one. And so what I'm looking at, what I want to tell you is that the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Paul the Apostle preached, it's the same gospel ah, today. Mercy. Same one. I get to preach the same one. I love it. It's a hallelujah. I love this. It doesn't matter who I'm, who I'm preaching to, who I'm talking to. Same gospel. 
They could be the high academia, super intelligentio, or whatever, oh, really smart. So, they could be uneducated, not know how to read nor write. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give the same gospel to either one. You don't change it because of their intellect. You don't change it because of their socioeconomical you know, level they're on. You don't change it because of what their religious background is. It is the same gospel. It's a hallelujah. God has given me privilege by His grace, only by His grace. I've had privilege to preach around the world twice. It doesn't matter where I go. Cambodia, Sri Lanka, France, Romania, Canada, Mexico, Philippines, oh mercy, India, doesn't matter where I go. I can go to a foreign country like Oklahoma. (laughs) And I will preach the very same gospel. It's never changed. It always will be the same. Somebody tries to change it, they're messing up. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Hallelujah. So this gospel that I'm privileged to preach today. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I want to declare, I declare unto you the gospel. This gospel. Some of you have been in church long enough that you you would know that the word gospel means good news. Amen. Amen. It's good news. Evangelion. Good news. I. Uh, it doesn't take people long to be around me to know that I'm not a genius. (laughs) I'm not a super intellect person. I'm a very common, just low-level kind of guy. But when I learn a new word, I want to tell people about it. And here's what I learned about the gospel. Here we go. Here's my new word. Intuitively... Now, I'm proud of me. Intuitively, we know good news when we hear it. Now, see, some people know what that means. Some of you are going, well, whatever. <laughs> Intuitively, when we hear good news, we know it. No one has to say, hey, that's really good news. We automatically know it. Mercy. School's just getting ready to start, but when the end of the school year comes, the teacher, the professor, passes out the grades or the report and says, you passed. Good news. (laughs) Moving on. Young man and young woman are seeing each other. They're courting. They're dating. They're spending time together. And finally, he asks the question, and they're engaged. Good news, good news. They're going to get married. Young couple have been married a little while, a year or so, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, You're having a baby. 
Good news. That's a hallelujah right there. Grandparents love it. <laughs> An older couple. They've got six grown children. They have grandchildren. They go to the doctor and the doctor says, you're not having a baby. Hallelujah! Good news. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The doctor says, it's not cancer. That's good news. The gospel is the good news. In our text, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, I tell people that the gospel starts with the word Christ. He tells him, I'm going to tell you, declare to you the gospel. In verse 3, he goes, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here it is, how that. It starts with the word Christ. Christ. So can I just tell you that the good news is about Christ? The good news is concerning Christ. It's not concerning Muhammad. It's not concerning Buddha. It's not concerning Moses. The good news is about Jesus Christ. Praise His name. You've got to have the right person. You've got the wrong person. You've got the wrong gospel. He's Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ is His uh, anointed. It's His name that means He's anointed. He's the promised one. He's the one that God has said ever since Genesis chapter 3 that one day I'm going to send somebody that will crush the head of the serpent. And that's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. So who Jesus is is vitally important. That you have the right Jesus, you have the right Christ to have the right gospel. Praise His name. This Christ. When it says that He's the Christ, it's identifying, I told you already, the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah. But it, it is more than that. It, it includes that He is who He said He was. And He said, if you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. He knows himself to be God, and he demonstrated that he was God, and he said it more than once, that he is God, that he is the divine, he is deity, he is God in the flesh. The Jewish people of the day were waiting, looking for the Messiah. They were expecting Him any time. They just didn't expect Him to be a man. He's a human. And that bothered them. But the Jews knew that Jesus said that He was God. They took up stones to kill Him. And Jesus said, why do you take up stones to stone me. And they said, now, what have I done? And they said, not because of a work you've done, but because you, being a man, make yourself equal with God. So the Jews knew that Jesus was saying He's God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that if you don't have God in the flesh as the Christ, you've got the wrong gospel. We could preach an entire sermon on the deity of Jesus and who He was. But since I brought it up, I will tell you, it's not surprising that the humanistic, God-hating society that we live in today, 
the media that's all around us that is anti-Christian, it's not, it's not, it's not surprising that, and their humanistic scholarship, that they would, uh, they would come up with this. They would say, hey, we found another book that maybe should be in the Bible. Yeah, it's one of those gospel books, one of those historical books about Jesus, and it's the book of Thomas. In the 1980s, they said they found this book, the book of Thomas. And they said, here's what they, the book of Thomas lets us know that Jesus had a secret life. Oh, yeah. He was married to Mary Magdalene. He had children. And that Jesus is not all he said he, who he was. No, friend, I'll tell you, Jesus did not have a secret life. He did not have a sinful life. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I liked how Dr. R.G. Lee said it. Some of you old-timers that get this, some of you youngers don't. It's too bad. Anyway, he said, R.G. Lee said, Christ did not preach cream and live skimmed milk. He preached who and what he was. He didn't have a secret life. The who of the gospel is eternally important, essential. The historian, he believes in Christ. Yeah, but he says he's just a man that's part of history. Islam, their Christ is, well, of course, we believe Christ, but he was... Just another prophet. The Mormons, their Christ, they said, well, yeah, of course. Christ is the half-brother of Lucifer. The Hindu, their Christ, they said, well, yeah, yeah, he's possibly God. One out of three million other gods. But the Bible's Christ. He alone is the God-man. He's every bit God. He's every bit man. He's the God-man. He declared to be, he declared himself to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. He is God. Can somebody say amen? Now listen to the, listen to the gospel. Christ died. I think it's fascinating anyway, doing word studies and trying to discover definition and so on. You know the word died in this verse right here is the same word description that would be used to describe the slaughter of an animal. And Christ's death was horrific, wasn't it? It was a slaughter Preceding his death was, was hours of torture and ridicule. They did nail his hands and his feet to these timbers, this cross. When they dropped it into the hole, it would have ripped his flesh. The Bible says that his, jo- that his bones, uh, his joints came aloose. The crucifixion was an unspeakable, horrible death. It was for the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. It was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. 
It was meant to be marked with special infamy. The victims suffered intolerable thirst, burning pain. Every moment on the cross was met with new, excruciating agony. Christ died. Horrific death. But you know when Christ died, He didn't have to die? I don't know if you know this. Listen, Here's what the scripture says. The wages of sin is death. Because we're sinners, the wages, the payment for sin is death. But see, Jesus never sinned. He didn't have to die. In fact, he could have called 12 legions of angels. Watch, watch. He voluntarily laid down his life. He willingly laid down his life. No, wicked men did arrest him. Wicked man did judge him. Wicked man did nail him to a cross. But it wasn't against his will. He willingly died. Listen to the Bible. Christ, it's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. I'd like for you to say those three words out loud with me, please. For our sins. Would you say them with me? For our sins. Please, everybody play. Please, everybody participate. Ready? For our sins. I'd like for you to change the word our instead of being the plural pronoun. Make it personal. Put, your, put that little word my for my sin. Would you say that with me? For my sin. Christ died for my sin. He didn't die for his. He had none. He died for my sin. Oh, mercy. I don't know if you're getting this or not. The gospel is good news. It doesn't sound like good news. Christ died. The good news is that he died for me. For my sin. For our sin. Amen? You know one of the things I've learned about good news? Um, Anyway, just telling you what I've learned. There's no such thing as good news if there's no such thing as bad news. The only reason there's something called good news is because there's something called bad news. If there were no bad news, there would be no good news, there would just be news. But because there's something called bad news, there's something called good news. And the bad news is, we are all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all come short... Somebody say amen. Of the glory of God, we've all come short of His righteousness. We're all sinners. We're innate sinners. We're depraved sinners. We're repeat offenders. 
Because of our sin, we're separated from God. So here's the deal. If you will not accept the bad news, the good news won't do you any good. There's lots of people walking around acting like, well, whatever, you can say he died and all that stuff, but I'm good. I'm not that bad. You want to you know someone bad? Look at my brother-in-law. Now, he's wicked. I ain't nothing like him. And the deal is they're comparing themselves to the wrong person. See, it's not what you think about your sin. It's what God says about your sin. Isn't that amazing that you don't have to teach a baby to be a sinner? They're born sinners. Little cuties. They can be two months old, three months old. Screaming bloody murder in the, in the bassinet, in the nursery. And you run in there. Ah! And then when you get in there, they go. Hey. Hey. Little liars. They're wicked. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. Stingy. <laughs> no parent has to say, okay, let me tell you how to lie now. When daddy asks you this question, now here's what you do. You don't have to teach them to lie. They just know how to do it on their own. They're born wicked. A few years ago, our grandson was, he's just two and a half. He's two and a half. He's a little bitty squirt. His mama had hip surgery. They had four stairs that walked into their house or steps, and then they had three steps that walked down into their living area. And the doctor says, you don't need to be doing any steps, and you can't do this. You can't do this for six months. I mean, six weeks. You can't do this. So at our house, we have one step that goes into our house. It's about three, maybe four inches, just one step. And so they moved in with us. It was at Christmas time. So when she had the surgery, they're living with us, they're going to live with us for a couple of months. Nana is happy, she's going to take care of her grandbabies. I'm happy because I was on the road. <laughs> but anyway, it's Christmas time. We got the Christmas tree up, the presents are there and all that. And so uh, our daughter is sitting in the recliner. It's her testimony. She hears the paper tearing the dog. On this side of the living room, there's a little couch over there, and the dog is back there. The dog is in the Christmas presents tearing him up. And then she thought, the dog is outside. Her testimony, she gets out of the rocking chair, the recliner, and she walks over with her walker, and she looks behind the couch, and behind the couch is a little two-and-a-half-year-old boy. Right next to him is a little silver pile of aluminum foil-type stuff that wraps around chocolate kisses. <laughs> He's got chocolate all over his hands and all over his face. 
You know what that little two-year-old boy knew? If you're going to eat a whole bag of chocolate kisses, you need to hide. <laughs> you don't want anybody seeing. He's a little wicked fella. He's a sinner. He's an innate sinner. He's a repeat offender. The truth is, we all are repeat offenders. People still refuse to confess the bad news. They don't want to admit they're in, they're in danger of condemnation. They're in danger of damnation. God knows I'm pretty good. God knows, you know, He's weighed out my good and bad, and my good outweighs my bad. I'm okay. And it's sad that there are pretend preachers. Pretend preachers that offer self-esteem. Self-love. Self-forgiveness. While sinners are headed to hell for eternity... Until one admits the bad news that we are sinners, the good news will do you no good. You don't need it and you don't want it. But if you'll come to the place where you admit that you have come short of God's holiness, of God's righteousness, and you will admit that you are a sinner, you'll find yourself in peril. You'll find yourself in need. I need a Savior. I thought this morning while I was reflecting over these notes about the sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God. And they said that that preacher would dangle people over hell like he was dangling over by a thread. And people knew they were on their way to hell. And while he was just reading the sermon, people would cry out, I need forgiveness! Today, you hard-hearted, us hard-headed, hard-hearted Americans and hard-headed Americans, we think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I need this religion thing. I'm telling you, because of the bad news, you need the good news. And his name is Jesus Christ. Scripture says Christ died For our sins, listen to the Bible, according to the Scriptures. Amen. The Scriptures. You know, the Scriptures have been saying that there would be a replacement, a substitute, ever since Genesis. The picture, the men saying about, are you the one, uh, Abraham? No. Are you the one, David? Are you the one, Moses? No, I'm not the one. Christ is the Lamb of God. But these pictures in the Old Testament, I like what someone said, all these prophecies, all the prophecies, I didn't say this first, I wish I would have, it is so good. He said, they're not just prophecies, they're promises. And God made promise after promise that there would be one that would come. According to the Scriptures, remember the innocent Lamb that died to cover Adam and Eve? That's a picture that an innocent one would die to cover us. Abel's lamb was accepted by God 
Because it foretold that God's Son is the Lamb of God. Abraham's willingness to offer his only son on Mount Moriah. And God stayed his hand. And there was a ram caught in the thicket that would be the substitute to take Isaac's place. God has a substitute for us. Praise His name. All these pictures of the Old Testament, all the offerings of the priest in the tabernacle, in the temple, all these offerings, all they did was push their sins forward until Christ, the Lamb of God, came that He could put away the sin and wash them away. Hallelujah. Isaiah 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 13. All of these announce the coming of one that would die for our sins. Can somebody say amen? Mr. R.A. Torrey said there was 333 verses in the Old Testament alone that talk about the death of Christ. Wow. I don't know who said this, but I wrote it down. Christ died God's way. So you and I could be forgiven God's way. Because there is no other way. Amen. But that's still an obstacle to people. That's still a bothersome thing to them. See, us humans, we want to do something. We want to do something so God will forgive us. We want to show Him, look what we did, see all I did for you. And Christianity is not something you do. Christianity has already been done. You can't do, but see, that's the difference. There's religion, there's do, 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 and there's Christianity. It's believe, it's receive forgiveness. See, Religion is man reaching up for God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. Religion, it's man-centered. Christianity is Christ-centered. In religion, it's human speculation. Christianity is divine revelation. In religion, it whitewashes man's condition but in christianity it washes white man's condition white as snow in religion well it's outward reformation come on but in christianity it's inward transformation praise his name mercy god alone is the originator the initiator and the sustainer of our salvation hallelujah I have a couple things in conclusion. It's a fellow, read a few things by him. I'm not altogether on the same page as he is, but he has some good pictures. His name is Ravi Zacharias. Mr. Zacharias, he said that the cross is a mirror. It's a mirror. And when you look at the cross... You actually are seeing a reflection of yourself. See, when Christ died, he didn't die for his sins, he died for my sin. When I see him hanging there, that horrific figure hanging there, I see effigy 
and it's me. It's me who is wicked. It's me who is sinful. It's me who's unrighteous. Is everybody with me? Mr. Zacharias said if when we look at the cross and we see ourselves hanging there in that horrific, agonized state that we deserve to be there. He said if it were only a mirror, we would all be in despair. He said it's not just a mirror though. It's also a window. And in the window or through the window, if you go through the window, you'll find hope. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find peace. You'll find right standing before God. Can somebody say amen? All right. My dad's in heaven. He was my preacher. My dad said this lots of times. I don't know how many times he said it. Maybe some of you have heard it. But he said these words many times. He, a lot of people, a lot of people in here, you're going to miss heaven. You're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. You know about Jesus up here. But you don't know about Jesus right here. See, it only takes ordinary intelligence to believe there was a man named Jesus Christ. That lived in the first century. Only ordinary intelligence to believe. Well, yeah, they killed him on a cross. Ordinary intelligence. Well, yeah, they say he rose from the dead. He died for people's sin. Humanity, much of humanity have heard that historical stuff. And they go, well, yeah, maybe it's true. It only takes ordinary intelligence. But it takes faith in God's holy word to believe that he died for my sin. Many of you, I would suppose all of you in this room, believe Jesus died on the cross, buried, rose again. Just because you know about it up here doesn't mean that you know about it right here. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. There's got to be a time when you admit the bad news. I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. Would you please forgive me? And he's never turned down one soul that's come to him. No, no, no. Just believing about him, knowing about him in your head, that doesn't get you to heaven. There must be a time that you receive Christ as your forgiver, your Savior. If you have not received Christ, you must. Here's what Jesus said, you must be born again. Amen. You can't do it your way. Amen. You got to do it his way. He said, Brother Dave, stop, stop, stop already. I'm already saved. Well, glory to God. I'm glad to hear you say that. Are you living like it? Maybe I could ask you this. You might, do you need a little bit of revival? You need to, someone to help get you back going again. You need a little help? Now, if you're sitting here going, no, I don't need, no, I'm good. Well, if that's true, 
you're so passionate for Jesus and so passionate for his word and passionate that he would do something mighty in this church that you'd be praying for revival for this church and you wouldn't want to miss any of it because you want to see what God's going to do. You're going, you're just trying to get us to come back. Uh, yeah, you're right. I came here for revival. I came here to stir me and you up for the gospel and with the gospel. Friend, if you're not saved, well, you're in the right place this morning. God knew you and I were going to be here the same day. And he wants to forgive your sins. But you've got to admit the bad news. If you'll admit that bad news, we can help you this morning receive the good news. I ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening. You bow our heads for prayer. I'd like to pray with you, please. Dear God in heaven, I come to you again. Thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you proved it. Thank you that you want to forgive our sins. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for this congregation today. Those that are not yet forgiven, I pray that today they will admit the bad news. God, they'd understand you want to forgive them. You will forgive them. I pray today they'd say yes to you. There are believers here, and I'm thankful for that. But there are believers here that need revival. They need stirred up. They need to be reminded. And I pray that you do that spark, that nudging, that we'd be who you want us to be and what you want us to be. Thank you, Christ. Thank you. Our heads are bowed and the piano speaks. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.